One key lesson I'll teach my kids one day is that difference is okay. In a world seemingly governed by stereotypes and societal expectations, different can mean being an outcast. But her story is different. In a conversation colored by anecdotes ranging from a heartbreak that sent her backpack into Southeast Asia, to the story of being at an all-time low after witnessing a suicide, Fidette steers us into the life of a traveler. In her own words, I'm not scared to start life all over again. I'm not scared to start from ground zero and make my way up. She's currently a Schwarzman Global Scholar and the co-owner of a travel company known as Sorted Charlie. After having visited about 30 countries, this is the second of two personality profiles I bring to you this season. Here is a conversation with Vedette Ajololo about the life of a traveler where she believes that not all wanderers are lost. Cheers. Hello and welcome to the Conversations in the Dark podcast where we welcome personal stories of hope and engage in discussions about difficult topics. There are at least 7 billion people in the world, each with a unique story. I'm here to tell a few. I recall I had gone to SS. We were in SOS together. I finished, I mean, we finished together. I wrote that grid in DC. Then I went off to Fansman. You went to Hachimota. Then I just heard that you had left the country. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, it's bad enough that we don't have access to phones in high school, so I could understand. But you were just away. And then I, you resurfaced. And like you're just traveling and I'm seeing you doing all these like amazing things. What was the transition like moving from a predominantly black community, like Ghana, obviously, and then moving to London? And I'm guessing it's predominantly white, you know. What was it like? Um, so I mean then yes, you're completely right. I did kind of vanish. <laughs> I forced my mom to get me out because of just things with the academic system that didn't really suit me at the time. Yeah. Um, so what the transition was like, I think so my mom has been living between the UK and the US. Okay. So I was always like away for summers. I don't know if you remember, but like in SOS mm. I would go away for holidays and things like that. So for me I was used to being away in a sense. And I think when we were younger, I didn't really think of the racial part of travel so much. Okay. So when I moved to the UK, I didn't really think about me as a black woman in a white society. For yeah. That didn't really come into play for me until maybe university, to be honest. Um, and I guess that's because, um, you know, in Ghana, we don't think about race so much. Yeah. Race is not a conversation. Yeah. So when I moved to the UK, race was not the first thing on my mind. Mm. I was never thinking about that. The, the, the most I was thinking was, oh my God, all white people look the same. But it's actually been scientifically proven that when you're not used to seeing a particular race, you often assume they all look the same okay. if you haven't seen them like constantly. So that's the most I thought about race. However, in Wait, my... so living in Hong Kong now, you think... All of them look different? Oh, no, no. In Hong Kong, I know they all look different. <laughs> <laughs> they definitely look different. <laughs> but see, that came with having to go through the white people first and then... Okay, I still that. think they all look the same. You see, but but like see, it's crazy. But apparently, it's actually scientifically proven. So it's right. not actually a racial thing. I don't know if I'm right, but this is what I've been told. But yes, um, actually, the first time, it wasn't so much race. I thought it was more of an attack on my being African. But n in oh. retrospect, I think it was probably a race thing. I did get, like, cyberbullied. In my um, in when I was in year eleven, and um, some some bunch of crazy people just telling me that like, go back home, you monkey, um, Africans not wanted here, and it was a very like emotional journey for me at the time. But I'm also not a very emotional person. Like it's yeah. like oh that hurt, but okay we move regardless. So it even was for then, no reason. It was it was triggered by some conversations that had happened in class, just like young people being very oh, stupid and stuff okay. like that. So I think that even though for me at the time it wasn't a racial conversation, it wasn't. It didn't make me think about race. 
made me think of more about me being African and not fitting into the society. In retrospect, okay. I realized that any black person may have been able to get that sort of treatment. I was the only black person in the class at the time. Right. Um, well, actually, there was another black boy, but I was the only black girl. And I think that anybody could have received that sort of treatment. Right. So but when did it become a conversation, the issue of race? I think the matter of race became a real conversation for me in university when I started to really understand colonialism. And I say really understand because I think in Ghana, we learn about colonialism in sociology. Yeah. But I don't think it's taught very well. Oh, really? At all. In, in retrospect, I think it's taught very badly. I don't think that the depth of what was done to black people when you know the, the white people came to Africa is really explained to us in Africa. Yeah. And I think that that's why people are quite nonchalant about race and, you know, um, this sort of dynamic on the continent. Yeah. Um, I remember when we learned about sociology and we're learning about the, you know, the colonial masters and stuff. It was very, like, airy fair. Did you ever feel any passion well, at all? It was social studies. It, anyway, was, it, was it was just, just like, Charlie, yeah. you're learning. This is what it is. But yeah. when I talk, when we talked about colonialism in my classes um, in, in university, it was a very heated conversation, and that's when I started to learn about what it means to be the on the side that was taken away. You get what right. I mean? I feel like us in Africa, when we haven't been taken away, so it's just like, oh, you know, white people in the colonial, like, calm down, you know, it's not a big deal. But for the people who are disconnected um, and the people who are now in the middle of a society that's predominantly white, they really feel the pain of the past. Right. So that's when I started to learn from my friends and, and, you know, and the people who were born and raised in the UK, how they really felt about race. And I was like, wow, this is so much deeper. And then I started to, like, you know, allow myself to really listen and experience certain things and realize that some of the things I was experiencing wasn't just a thing. It really was perhaps a racial thing. Right. So I'm hearing you speak about all these experiences realizing that there's more to your identity mm -hmm. if this to put it that way mm -hmm. then the issue of identity comes up because i know you're 50 percent ewe 50 percent ashanti actually right? i'm 50 percent ashanti 25 percent ewe 25 percent fanti because my, my my dad's not full ewe so oh. arguably i'm not full ewe you know okay cool yeah and i'm, I'm saying that because you know how we're in SOS, mm -hmm. and to be fair, I was part of this shamefully. <laughs> and like all the things you used to say about Ewers, right? So I know there was a thing, there was a battle, I don't know, maybe I may be wrong, but there was sort of like a battle of identity, whether you wanted to identify more as a shanty, just so you don't get all that comes with being Ewe. Mm -hmm. You had to deal with all that, mm -hmm. and then you moved to the UK and still had to deal with this issue of identity. Mm. How's that been like? I don't think that the maybe I'm just not a, I don't have depth or something but yeah. I don't think the issue of ethnic identity really affected me that much right, it okay. just felt like you know us being young people oh I'm a shanti yeah, yeah I'm a shanti everyone wanted to be a shanti you know like right. because we're very a shanti centric in Ghana unfortunately um but for me I don't think it affected me I wasn't traumatized by an ewe ashanti divide right. and I was mainly raised by my mother and she is full ashanti right so when I claimed to be Ashanti, I didn't feel like I was neglecting anything. Right. Like that's who I, I am, Ashanti. And because I was raised by my mother, she is like Ashanti, right? Um, so, yeah, that didn't really affect me. But it's interesting. Growing up, I really want to be more Ewe. Like, I want to tap into my mm. Ewe side. I love the language. I love the people. I've been traveling around the Volta region. I'm like, wow, I really wish I knew more about that part of me yeah. growing up so maybe that's the identity crisis i have there where i feel like i didn't get everything i could from my airway identity and i i still don't get everything i can right. um in terms of the uk i think finding your group really like shelters you and helps you when i was in high school i was the only black girl in many settings um so for instance i remember a teacher saying to me like during history class like i wasn't very good at history maybe because yeah. that's not my history period <laughs> but you know like she would say things like oh over there don't you understand this is it because there's a language barrier what and i'm like <laughs> excuse me honey we speak english in ghana that is our <laughs> first official language so what's up but she would say stuff like that and that was it was a jab at me and i spoke perfect english as far as i'm concerned so i didn't understand where that was coming from yeah again for me when i was younger i didn't see that as an identity crisis 
it was more so what's going on like I don't think I figured it out until I was older and being older when you go into the workspaces and people say some really dumb excuse my language dumb shit yeah and you're like oh you people are just crazy people to be honest I have had some weird experiences where I'm like you people are crazy you are you are really just mad for yeah. example can you give me like one um I'll give you one from Hong Kong um okay. So I remember going, I remember getting a parcel delivered to my apartment and I had yeah. um, a Chinese housemate. Um, and the the parcel was, was it, the parcel wasn't her name actually. She had the parcel delivered. So the guy rang the bell. I went out, I was like, hey, you know, parcel. And he's like, oh, um, this parcel is for X person. He said it in her Chinese name. He's like, can you sign? And I was like, yeah, sure. And he was like, oh, so make sure that when your madame comes to the house, you give it to her. Oh. And I was like, excuse me? And he was like, your madame, that's your boss. When she comes, give it to her. And I was like, do you think I'm the help? And he was like, I was like, I'm not the help. Just because, you know, I'm black, I'm not Chinese, you think I'm the help. And he's like, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Um, and he, he did think I was the help because yeah, in Hong Kong, a lot of ethnic minorities, maybe Filipinos, um, uh, or black people might tend to be seen as a lower social class, therefore are equated to being helpers. So in that situation, I was purely judged because of my race. Um, so that's like one example of something that has happened. And maybe, you know, being called the N-word in, you know, in the public space or something like that. Yeah. Um, in the UK, right? And I remember, like, you know, there's people who were my friends. Like, I went for my friend's party. And... The, the song man man you know that Kanye, yeah. is it Kanye West no I don't know if it's, I don't know who it is but they basically say the n word a couple of times yeah and at the time I was the only black person at the party so one of my friends was like oh I don't think we should play this song because it will probably make bit uncomfortable but she's like oh no it's a song it's a song and all her white friends um were and she was um Chinese um by heritage and they were all singing we're my all sing they were singing it and I was just there like bruh. Like and I was so upset until this day we're not like really good friends because I just felt like you know if like, you yeah. can't be empathetic that this word is actually a big problem, then I just don't I just don't know for our friendship. So wow. things like that. Things like that can be very hurtful. So forgive my asking, maybe, but I'm just thinking, if you had a myriad of these experiences, why didn't you just come back? Mm, I wouldn't say I had a myriad of these experiences. Like, um, I think the UK changed my life in so many ways. Okay. I owe it to a lot of people, both white, white and black. Okay. Um, there were experiences like that. Um, mm. But I also had great things that happened to me whilst out there, you know, mm. finding, moving from studying home economics to studying law, which was really what I should have been doing because... Who the hell can do elective chemistry on these streets? You know, home <laughs> economic students do elective chemistry. Me, <laughs> I am not a STEM person. <laughs> I cannot even do one plus one to save my life. I'm a writer. I write. Hey. So to be able to move from that to doing law was a very important transition in my life. Mm. You know, working in finance, um, getting so many great career opportunities, moving around to Hong Kong. All of this was because I left the UK. So for me, there right. was never a rush to come to Ghana. And very sadly, I never thought I was going to come back. I didn't have plans of moving to Ghana um, because I, I think I got very hurt by the educational system and where it put me. Right. That I just felt a lot of bitterness towards the country. Mm. So for me, it was like, I'm always going to be in the UK. I was, I'm always going to be in the UK until I started to grow and understand certain things and realize that home is home. You should come back. So that's the only reason because home is home? Is that what changed this whole... I definitely think so. I don't think, you know, I think Ghana will be my base, but I'm a nomad. I can never stay in one place. Let's talk about that. Yeah, I just can't. Why? And and I see this. So I was looking through your Instagram feed, right? Mm -hmm. And I came across um, one post which says, since the disintegration wow. of her parents' marriage, she'd only laughed two things. The first was her long, dark hair. The second was how easily she could cut it off. And feel nothing. That's deep. I can't believe you pulled that quote. <laughs> but I thought that was deep. Yes, yeah, I thought it was a beautiful one. I thought that, so that was deep. Mm -hmm. And then I was wondering, even though it was about your hair, I was wondering if it was sort of, and we are alluding to something. Do you think that's why you are a nomad? Do you consider yourself a nomad? 
So it's, it's re- I'm very shocked that you mentioned that quote, but whenever people ask me, give us a quote to represent yourself, like when, when I want to really show them who I really am, <laughs> it's probably that quote. Um, and it's definitely, it represents a lot in my life. Right. So I'm the sort of person where I'm very attached to things, but I'm also very okay to let things go. I'm not very like, I must have this and this must be my, I don't have a plan in life. I just want to have fun. I just want to experience things and I just want to live because I know life is short. Pause. <laughs> this is somebody who's a Strasbourg Global <laughs> School. I mean, we'll talk about that. Did law double in music. You went, you tried out for X Factor. You have your baby sorted. Like you've done all these things and you're like, you're just having fun. Wasn't a plan. For me, it's fun. Everything is fun. Um, but I'll, let me let me just explain yeah, that quote yeah. and then I'll go into that. But I think you're right. I think that that's definitely a thing. I don't. I'm not scared to live life all over again. I'm not scared to start from ground zero and go up. Um, as a matter of fact, I think I get bored easily as well. Um, and I want to experience everything. I want to see like if this world is so big and s- like so yeah. many countries, then surely God wants us to see it all. So why should I be so attached and fixated on one thing? So like, it's not a so thing much. of commitment issues. I think I have commitment issues too. <laughs> and you, no, and I'm, just, I'm just wondering, like, do you think it stems from the whole separation? I don't know. Maybe it, okay. maybe it does. Maybe, okay. I don't know where it stems from, but yeah. I'm just not used to, I'm just not used to being in one space or yeah. even in terms of connections with human beings. Yeah. I'm not used to, I don't give my life to one person. Right. You know, and it shows in different parts of my life. Like when you think about my career projection, law, banking, travel company, you know, might yeah. end up in tech. I want to do, like, I've gone through, it's different. Like, my life is not the same. I thought you'd be an actress. Did I ever tell you? I really? You'd end up an, uh, <laughs> That's an not even part of my plan. <laughs> no, it wasn't even because of your father. Oh, by the way, <laughs> her father is like a very popular actor. But it's not because of your father. But in, like, in SOS, you used to, whenever we're doing like a uh, pharaonic eagle mm. i mean you were so into it i'm like wow she's born for this <laughs> i like many things yeah, i like yeah, many things yeah. so i think that quote definitely represents how i move through life and just realizing that things are temporary and right. it's okay for things to change in your life whether that's friendship whether that's where you're living whether that's the people you're experiencing a relationship yeah. whatever it's okay i mean and you mentioned that you had certain rude awakenings like the de- death of kobe Things like 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 that just made you realize that yeah life is short. Hundred percent. So you just go through that. I but actually live my life a lot thinking that, and this people hate it, but it is the truth. I think I might like die young, so I always try to live my life exactly how I want it to be. And it sounds really deep, and I hope I don't. But you know, like this is definitely something I feel. So I I just want when I die, I want to feel like oh I lived, you know, I yeah. really did live. Do you not crave some stability? And when I say stability, I mean in the air quotes. The Ghanaian sense of stability. Get married, have kids, stay in one country, just occasional visits when you have your 21 days in a year off. <laughs> then you take some days off, travel, you know, and come back to your family. Do you not crave that? I hope the guy I'm dating doesn't hear this. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I don't, I don't feel the need to be married. Yeah. Um, I like the idea of companionship, someone who's okay. there. Monogamy is, you know, very, it's, I don't know if it works, um, but if it, do, it can work, I'll be very happy. Right. Um, no, I'm not in a hurry to have children. Don't even know if I want them. Okay. Um, no, I don't want to live in one house for the rest of my life. No, I definitely don't want to live in one country for the rest of my life. Wow. Hell to the no. <laughs> no, that is just boring. Routine is the scariest thing ever. So, um, a couple of weeks ago, I went to town. I needed to do some things in town, Accra. And then later on, meet up with some friends at Rockefellers for dinner. So in between, I went to Jamestown Coffee and Roasted. Coffee and Roasted. And so I'm just like working, doing things on my laptop, eating. A lady comes to sit by me, who, by the way, looks so much like you. Really? Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) She's called Cece, right? Mm -hmm. And interestingly, she's a traveler as well. Visited so many countries. Cece with the short hair, short braids. I mean, when I saw she her, she was tall. she was quite tall. But when I met her, she actually had long braids. I think I know Cece, but oh, go do. on. Yeah, I yeah. know she's traveled quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. So I asked her the same question. 
Do you not crave some stability? Why are you always moving about? And her answer, which I thought was so profound, was that in her definition of stability, moving around is that stability. And it made sense. Like, why should my definition of stability be what society thinks it should be? But really, if I'm like, that's how I'm stable minded. That's how I feel like I'm having some stability in my mind that I get to travel, move around countries, experience the world. Mm. That's what gives me stability. And I thought that was, like, really, really important. I think there's a couple of things. Like, so one of my favorite quotes is, not all wonders are lost. Um, And another one is, there's a method to the madness. Mm. So these quotes are very similar because I feel like I always seem like I don't really have a path. Like, I'm always just going. But I have a path. And that path is to freedom and to experience and living and taking in life. Yeah. For me, that's the path. So let's talk about dating. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> how many countries have you lived in? I know you've traveled to 30 countries. I don't know how many cities. Oh, but I can't count. <laughs> yeah. But so how many have you lived in? So Ghana would be my fifth country. That you've lived in. So did you ever date in these five countries? Man, like she's counting her fingers. Okay, no, actually, like Ghana is my fourth. Next year I'll be my fifth, which will be China. My bad. Um, yes, I dated in all four countries and I absolutely loved it. <laughs> Were they all black men? No. Was there ever a black man? Yes. Okay. How's that been? Did you have, because I see these things online where ladies feel like they always have to explain why they are black. Mm. Explain why they need to sleep with a silk bonnet. Mm things like that. Mm. Did you have such experiences? Was it difficult dating as a black woman? Mm, I would say not. Not right. for me. Okay. Um, so very few times I dated people who are of a different race who said certain things and I'm like... Like what? It's always... I think the problem with dating people of other races is always... You're, pr- you're praying that, God, don't let them say anything stupid. <laughs> and then they say something stupid, and you're like, oh, come on, man. Like, you really had to give me one of these? You know, that's always the problem. So one of the guys I was dating, he made a comment, and he was just like, I, we were talking about something, and he was like, oh, you know how, you know, black women just pop out kids like rabbits. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, excuse me? <laughs> and he was like, yeah, you know, black women always have many kids. Like, wow, did you just put us in direct comparison to an animal. Like, that's just something I just could not understand. Um, but generally, personally, I'm okay with people asking me, oh, what have you done to your hair? Like, my f- back in Hong Kong, everyone would be like, your hair was short the, uh, yesterday, <laughs> and I was long. I'm okay with that. I understand that some other black women don't feel comfortable with that, but for me, it's just like they don't know. Like, you, you, you don't know what you don't know, right? So right. I'm okay with that, but... I'm trying to think back and see if I've had any really strange experiences with men of other races I've dated. Mm. N- no. I think pretty much a lot of them have been quite normal. Yeah. You seem to have like a very... It's carefree though, Ed. It's not laissez-faire either. Mm. But you just have a very lax view of life, like whatever comes, comes, mm. you know, like, quite personally, that's, like, I wonder if I can ever get into that kind of mindset, mm. but I guess the wildest thing I've done, I think, in, like, the past few years, is dye my hair blonde. Oh, I didn't know you dyed your hair blonde. I did, I'll show you photos. Oh, my God, I didn't see that. I did that, and I thought that was so insane. <laughs> He's like, I'm crazy. <laughs> like, I'm <laughs> then I'm looking through your eyes. I'm like, oh, I remember. She went bald. There was one time she just decided to go. Was it no? It wasn't blonde. It was gold. I went blonde, and then I went bald as well. Yeah, and then I was like, wow. Like she just does what she wants. And then I remember you went on this crazy weight loss journey. Mm, I did actually. Was that oh because of God. a man? Mm, did I go on a weight loss journey because of a man? I mean, I think. It wasn't because of a man. It was because of me. So actually, that weight loss journey was when I was in the Netherlands. Okay. Um, and at the time, I was actually dating someone, and he made some really interesting comments. Like, he was like, oh, you know, sometimes I just want a girl whose spinal cord I can see. Um, 
and then he would be like, oh, you would be so much beautiful if you were like more beautiful if you were skinny. Um, and I was like way bigger than I actually am now. And I was like, oh, snap. Like, and I always, I was, I, I was always like a fat kid. Um, and I didn't like being a fat kid. Be- and not because like I felt insecure about being a fat kid, but because I was like, but you can do so much better than this. Like, you know, you're fine. Like you can be like <laughs> hundred times finer. Like, why are you no hundred times finer? That was my problem. Um, but in any case, it it maybe maybe it was indirectly triggered by him, but I think it was January 2016. I just woke up one day and I was just like, I just want to be skinny, not skinny, but I want I want to be smaller. I want to be healthy. I want to be at my best because I was not at my best. I wasn't working out. I was eating whatever I wanted to eat. Yeah. So then I went through that weight loss journey because I wanted to be at my best. Um, and I'm glad I did that. You know, I did that for me, and I I constantly think about my body and how to improve it. It doesn't depress me. It just I know I can be better. I know I right. can be like smashing. Like why why don't I achieve that? I am smashing now. But if you can be more smashing, why wouldn't you take that opportunity? You're skinnier than you are now. Yeah, hundred percent. I was <laughs> like, I was twenty five kg less than I am now. Wow. That was the smallest I've ever been. Do you think you'd ever go back there? I would love to, but Charlie, jollof rice is nice, so <laughs> we'll see. I remember being in London, and then being invited out one night. Um, because apparently you were moving your whole life to Hong Kong. And I, I came with Nicole a night out, just taking drinks and things like that. Like, why? Isn't London enough? And then she decides to go to Hong Kong. And you actually stayed, you put it out there that, I think your mother was uh, freaked out. Was that it? Yes. My mom, my mother was freaked out. Yeah. Said, yeah. Did you not think about, what your Ghanaian family would say. Like, why would you do all this? I feel like you're stressing your mother out. Because if she's like, if she's like a typical Ashanti woman, then she must have been stressed out. Like, mm. why is my daughter traveling so much? Why is she, mm. is there a thing of you're really independent from her, mm. from your family? So I live my life by myself, to be honest. Okay. I love my family. I love my friends. But when I'm making decisions, I don't really think about anyone. Right. And that's what I love about not having kids or yeah. a partner right now. Because you don't, I don't, like, my mom, I love my mom. But at the same time, my mom also lived her life. So I know that it's important for me to live mine. And I'm I'm trying to write a book. And one of the books, I, one of the, the, it's a chapter, but it's just one line. And it says that, um, dear soulmate, I'm a woman who only knows how to move. So don't stop me. And that's literally my life. I only literally, the only thing I'm really good at doing is moving. Moving in everything. Right. Like moving things to work. Moving away from places. Staying good. Like I'm so good at moving. Like yeah. I should have an award for moving. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think that she's accepted that. She's accepted that my daughter is someone who cannot be stopped. I'm not going to be stopped. I'm going to do what I want to do anyways. Yeah. So what's the point? Like you can encourage me. You should, you should, you should encourage me in the direction I want to go. Yeah. Don't, don't encourage me away from the direction I want to go. Right. Um. So I think she's learned. She's she's learned. And the thing is, it sounds very arrogant, but I never go wrong. <laughs> That's just the truth. My mom always says it. She's like, "You're always right, but just think about how you deliver the message." So I, I mean, in none of the decisions I've made, right. moving, traveling to over thirty countries, moving to Hong Kong. Moving from Ghana to the UK, moving to the Netherlands, I've never been wrong. It's always been great. The results have always been excellent. Right. So why, like, you can't look back and be like, oh, when you went to the Netherlands, you broke your leg, you dropped yeah. out of school, so therefore don't travel to Hong Kong. When I went to the Netherlands, it was great. Came back, great university results, moved to Hong Kong, got a great job, and got a great job in the UK. Like, how are you going to tell a girl who gets things right that don't do this? You know what? <laughs> Somebody told me recently that it's a thing with really smart people. Mm. So I was reading a book um, titled When Breath Becomes Air. I heard that book. I Paul heard it's really good. Cullen. It's a really great book. Wow. It's an autobiography. A neurosurgeon who found out he had cancer, mm-hmm. you know, and he's just like journaling his life. And I was looking through, he's like, wow. This guy, like, he's never, you know, there was a point where when I was growing up, like, I'm in school, the courses I took right up to uni, 
I felt like I was just going through the motions, like doing because you just have to be in school and study mm-hmm. things like that. But the apparently extra smart people who never think that way, they feel like for everything they study, there was a purpose and they can actually trace it. Are you not sure that's what's happening to you in that you're just one of those people, extra smart, so you just feel like even if the things went wrong, I know I would tend to be right for me and then in my mind it's like, it's okay. I mean, Safo, you and I both know I'm not extra smart. Like, you were the top of the class. No, like, no, I was the bottom of the class. I'm not talking about book smarts. I'm not okay, about, okay, right, okay. yeah, no, no, not that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not smart. <laughs> um, but you know, yeah, you don't think it was something like that. I think I have a growth mindset. Okay. I don't believe in failure. I don't believe in internal failure. Unless my body and my brain stops working, I can turn my life around. I don't believe in failure. I was saying to someone that I have a very weird relationship with money. Even when I don't have money, I don't care because I know I will make money. Like, I'm not, I have a very weird relationship with life in that I'm just like, I'm not scared of life. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about life. And I think that that's how I navigate my life. Like, if one door closes, another exciting door is going to happen. Right. Like, or open. Do you know what I mean? So, for me, it's it's like, ooh, I'm curious. I want to know, like, what's behind this door? What's behind quitting your job in the middle of a pandemic and starting a travel company like an insane person? What's behind that door? You know? And so, I, that was why you quit. It was yeah. Just, I, I, I right. was tired. I wanted more. I wanted to be challenged. I wanted to challenge myself. Right. I was I'm a twenty I was a twenty five year old woman at the time in Hong Kong, in the banking industry, earning a good wage, t- pretty good trajectory. Very clear that I was going to get a promotion pretty soon. Yeah, but I was I was like life is too perfect. I want a little bit. I want to shake it up. What I love like I can go out on Sunday and have champagne and brunch with my girls and not yeah. think about money. I want to like I want more like shake me up a little bit. Wow, you know, life come at overrated. me. You know, like <laughs> peace is overrated. <laughs> Peace is really overrated. <laughs> Look, I'm, I'm always yearning for no peace. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know what's wrong with you. <laughs> so, <laughs> let's talk about quitting your job. Mm. Have you found that challenge you're looking for? I have. I have. I think I have. I'm you very... Have. I think the journey of being an entrepreneur... And like, let me just say, I have a travel company. Travel yeah. is my life. We'll talk um, you about know, It's that. great, yeah. yeah. But um, being an entrepreneur is very challenging. But also, the things that we've been able to achieve in the past six months of business is insane. Yeah. So now I'm a bit cheeky. I'm just <laughs> like, is it really that challenging or I just have to figure out how to add more zeros to the numbers? Right. Um, so that space... Did you start your travel company before quitting your job or was it after? So uh, I unofficially started my business in 2019, December, when I saw how Ghana did very well in the year of return. And I realized it was important for me to come into this space, having done some research and realized that the demand would, the supply would never match the demand. Right. You know, we have an increasing amount of people wanting to come and experience Ghana and Africa at large. So unofficially, I was doing like consultations. People would message me and be like, hey, I want to go to Ghana. I'd be like, yeah, sure. This is what you should do, blah, blah, blah. It was in December 2020 that I run my first group trip. Okay. So got out of the flight from Hong Kong. Um, three days later, I was traveling. quit by then? I'd quit by then. Um, three days later, I was traveling around Ghana with 12 people. And I organized everything from Hong Kong. Many of the pl- every place I took them, I had never been. So as they're also saying, "Wow, this is beautiful." Me, I'm like, "Wow, this is also really nice." Me, you no, know, I organized the trip. So yeah, that's how it started unofficially as a c- more consultation process. So was there any story behind the sorted? It's called sorted Charlie, by the way. Sorted Charlie. Is there story behind it, or is it really just about getting the zeros? Like being no, it was never about getting the zeros. So. It was always about me feeling like I had gone to Southeast Asia and documented my trips and put yeah. on Instagram. And I love Asia. I love, love Asia. Oh, you need to tell me about that breakup. That yeah, I would t- love anyway. to tell you that story. <laughs> Best breakup ever. Um, so I just felt like, why am I going around promoting another person's continent when I can be doing the same thing in my country? Right. And I'm a very logical person. That's how Capricorns are. So apart from the passion, I was like, well, there is a huge market here and in terms of profitability can be huge. 
obviously that hasn't my profitability scale hasn't been hit simply because of covid yeah. but i'm i strongly believe that after covid it's going to like fly right so it wasn't just about the money it was also because i am passionate about travel and i want people to experience travel travel changed my life moving from ghana to the uk uk to hong kong doing my backpacking that changed my whole life i'm a different person from who i was because of travel and i want people to feel that transformational power of travel i think it's super important I'm guessing the difference between your experience as a traveler and these experiences that you are create you are curating for people through your organization or what I think is that usually when solo so like solo backpacking or you travel yeah. alone you know but for for somebody like me who's not as much of a risk taker I'd obviously patronize your organization like what you are providing let's travel together as a group even if we don't know each other as much we just form a bond in no time you know but traveling alone was it not lonely all the time like i moved to egypt for a month and like it took me how long to settle by the time i settled i had to leave and come back home Mm. isn't it isn't it a lonely journey like just get into a new place so you know people think i'm an extrovert i'm actually an introvert and I know Jokes. he doesn't believe it, but I am actually an introvert. Um, I can do the extrovert thing, you know? I can do it. I can be here and talk to five people and be like the middle of center or whatever, but I can only do it to a, a certain limit. I'm very, very aware of my limits. After that, I want to be alone. Yeah. So in Ghana, people come to Ghana and like, over there, I want to hang out with you. And I'm like, I'm actually the most boring person in the world. Like, I spend 90% of my... And it... People don't believe it. I don't believe this. This is true. I spend 90% of my time by myself. Actually, I enjoy one-to-one conversations or two-to-one conversations, and I do big groups. That's my preference. So for me, I love being alone. Oh, my God. I I feel I am alone, but I'm not lonely. Ah, that's what it is. How long does it usually take you to bond? Do you always find a group of people or some people to bond with wherever you travel? Immediately. But it's it's not... for me, it doesn't have to be deep forever. It can be deep for what it is now. <laughs> so if I'm here having coffee with you and we bond and we fall in love, let's fall in love now. It doesn't mean that it's going to be, we're going to be in love for another year. It's fine. It's okay. And I'm, I'm at peace with that. Wow. Did you know about the scholarship before you quit your job? No. No. No, I did not. Because this is me, right? Talking to my brother, so you know, now I don't come from my head. I'm like, wow, did a quit job. Her re- By the way, she had a really good job with HSBC <laughs> in Hong Kong. Then we are talking later. I'm like, oh, she has a scholarship. That's why she quit her job. And she's like, so she, she's probably deceiving us. Like, don't quit your job, guys. Don't just quit <laughs> your job. That's, like, that's get a scholarship first before you quit your job. You really didn't know. I didn't know, I promise you. And I'm not even lying. I remember... I remember doing the interview for the scholarship, which, by the way, when I did the interview, I thought I did not get it. I really thought I did not get the who scholarship. D- I mean, just pleasure, really. Who did you have the interview with? Oh, God, I had an interview with the ex-Prime Minister of Australia. Listen to that. Senior, like, people from Goldman Sachs and, like, just, like, really interesting people on political parties Man. and China and stuff. But the ex-Prime Minister of, of Australia was the one that gassed me. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but no I didn't know so I had applied for the scholarship I was praying I got it by the way I thought my interview was horrendous like so I didn't even think I'd get a scholarship and but I woke up one morning I was like I need to quit my job like I need to my spirit and my soul wants me to quit my job I I need to listen to my spirit and I remember quitting it and one of my senior managers who loves me had to now go and explain to the other managers why I had quit my job in the middle of a pandemic when everyone is trying to hold their job. And she's like, Fida is going to be a global leader. She's got this great scholarship. <laughs> I had not got the scholarship. The woman just oh. felt like, Charlie, I don't know what to tell these people because what she's done is crazy. But I have to tell them something. So she just went to speak in faith that, you know, I'm going on to do Man. great things. I did not have a scholarship at the time. So it's only by the... Like, I was scared. Like, I was having sleepless nights after I quit my job because I was like, what if you don't get the scholarship? I mean, There's I'll, I'll no even reading your resignation letter. <laughs> if I was a manager, I'd, I'd just be rolling my eyes with every line. But there, <laughs> there, was, there was like, there was a line in it. Oh, I wish I took that out. But there was, there was a line in it where you were like, you have no idea if it's fearless faith or something about silly optimism or something of the sort. Something insanity, I think I said. Yeah, yeah, something like that. I'm like, 
what do you think? Of course, I feel like it's the latter. <laughs> like, I saw that, but like, yeah, that was, that was, it, it makes sense that she would go ahead and have to like find reason for them to, to just see, I mean, she's going to be, she's got a scholarship, so like, fair enough. But I didn't care. I didn't care what people thought was crazy yeah. or not. I really believe it's important to listen to your spirit and your soul. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, you're living your life for yourself and people are always going to think, you know, like even working in a great job in finance, there there's someone out there thinking this person is crazy. Why are they doing this? Yeah. They have so much more to give to the world. Go and do something else. So I just listened to my spirit. My yeah. spirit is my guide. And your spirit said no law. Because by the way, you went to, I know you went to Queen Mary's, mm-hmm. graduated with a law degree, and you just didn't do it. I don't know if my spirit said no law or my spirit said, I don't really care, just get some money <laughs> yeah. and survive. Um, and banking made me survive. Um, and it was great. I, it was a great career for four years. That's great. Now I see, sorry, back to your business. To sort it, Charlie. I opened my Instagram just yesterday or two nights ago. And I'm seeing like, oh, there's an organized trip. Sorted Charlie in partnership with oh Prime Years. Like, oh so that's why she was going for those Prime Years events. Like this girl is always moving mad. Like <laughs> there's a method to the madness. I see, I see. What so what I asked you once, sorted Charlie, is it just a thing of um organizing trips for people? And you even you I think you even put it out there, someone just saying you are some glorified tour guide and all that. But remember, and you were like, you're actually targeting, what do you call them? They're not organizations, but communities, communities, right? So then you're asking, so for example, in my field of lawyers, we could organize, why is it so, why those communities? I think there is a, there is an economic reason behind that. Okay. But I will also touch, I'll touch mainly on why it's important to target communities. I think, as you mentioned, some people are just, not ready to travel solo, you know? And when you put people in a community, there's so much more you can achieve. Mm. There's power in numbers. People enjoy themselves so much more when they're traveling with other people. Um, And also as a company, it's so much more, it's so much easier for us to create an itinerary that works for everyone when we're targeting a community that is aligned to one particular interest, right? So I'll give you an example. We're traveling with a wind collective. Um, which is another community, great travel community, amazing, right? They're coming to Ghana and we're doing a partnership with the Wind Collective. And the Wind Collective are a bunch of creatives. Like they travel for the pictures, the film. They're just insane. You should check them out. And as a result, we are able to create an itinerary that allows them to do their insanity, you know? Right. And with Prime Years as well, the itinerary we've created, it takes into consideration that these people are here to network. So we're creating, there's a lot of things within the itinerary that allows people to sit and just talk whilst experiencing the beauty of Ghana. So if that's like, they're, they're going to do some painting and sipping at Ibri Botanical Gardens, which means people can actually sit down, paint together, have a laugh, oh, look at my paints, whatever. They're going to be having a pub quiz at like, you know, the um, the Pediasi Lounge, for instance. Um, no, Little Acre, sorry. But these things are important. And having a travel company that doesn't just go to an individual and then struggle to give people what they want. But having a travel company that taps into communities means that it's easier to deliver because right. you're actually tapping into what they want right. as a group. And I think that that's not something I've seen a lot of travel companies do. But um, how's that different from, say, these guys called Move Africa? Do you know? Right. Like, yeah. So Move Africa, also a great company. You've been checking yeah. them out. Um, it comes to me across to me like they do a lot of adventure travel. Yeah. But again, I don't know if they're tapping into community. You know, for okay. us, community is a big part, is a big thing for us. You know, we love communities. We love to work with communities because you then get exposed to different types of audiences and different types of things that, be, like, I have a community called the Butterfly Effect from the States. Very high-end travelers, want everything super posh, super, like, you know, lavish. Wow. That's different from my Wind Collective who wants everything to be super creative, adventurous, and stuff like that. I, I can't say if Move Africa is doing that. But I think for Sorta Chale, that's our niche. We want to tap into communities. We want to bring community experiences to life. And out of the over 30 countries you've visited, how many of them are African countries? Oh, it's very embarrassing. But only three of them are African countries. Wow. Which is, which is why for me it was important to do this business and challenge myself okay. to visit Africa more. 
So let's let's talk about this because <laughs> then again, I've met other travelers, which is weird. Because I don't. <laughs> anyway, I met. I think I met another lady, and I think she relocated her life to Ghana because I think she sort of had disappointments with the tourism authority. Is it Annabelle Renee? No. Okay. Okay. And I'll, I'll tell you about her. Okay. I'll tell you, yeah. But she she got that, got to Ghana, bureaucracy, all all that's going on. So she it basically didn't happen. And now she's just like a consultant. I mean, she's making money, but she's a consultant. Do you think, even though we make so much noise about things like the year of return, people should come back, do you think Africa is ready for a community of backpackers? Do you think we encourage traveling in Africa? So a community of backpackers, no. Right. A community of maybe travelers who have a little bit more money, yes. Right. When I say backpackers, I say this because I traveled through Southeast Asia for a month just under a thousand pounds. Wow. I can spend a thousand pounds in three days in Ghana. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. Ghana is very expensive. Extremely expensive. Accra, you know? Accra. Accra, Accra particularly is expensive. I book hotels all the time and a hotel and you know, your average hotel a night is looking at like, you know, a hundred dollars a night, right? Mm. You, how are you going to backpack for a thousand pounds if you're paying a hundred dollars a night for a place to stay? Yeah. So no, Africa is definitely not ready for backpacker travelers, and that's because the 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 supply is very few. So mm. the few people who have dominance in the market are charging extortionate amounts. Yeah, the real estate bubble in Accra is insane, and I think travel in Africa sixty percent of your your spending goes towards accommodation. Yeah. Whereas when you look at Southeast Asia, that's not necessarily the case because I can get a decent place in, in you know, Asia for ten dollars a night, and I'll be perfectly comfortable. $10. Might even look nicer than my bedroom, you know. Right. My I always say this, and it sounds very privileged, whatever, um, and I don't mean for it to sound privileged, but it's just the comparison. My two star hotel in Bali is so much nicer <laughs> than some of the five star hotels, which I will not mention no, in Accra. I can agree. In Accra, that, it's, yeah. it's so much nicer, and I would I personally would never spend that money on uh, on a hotel because I know what that buck can get me in other parts of the world. Yeah. So I was watching recently watching this. I don't know if you've seen it. There's a show on Netflix um, called Most Beautiful Places in the World or something. I think it's pretty new. Three friends, and um, one looks for budget accommodations, one looks for unique accommodations, and one looks for luxurious accommodations all over. This check is really lovely. I was watching this with my girlfriend, right? So there was this episode on Bali. Mm. And they find this really unique and beautiful accommodation, which is like a bird's nest, all the way high, for $24. I was like, no, that's impossible. You know, I was just wondering, like, what's the way forward for us in terms of... Because, like, we know tourism will bring us a lot of money, but somehow... Nobody seems to know the right direction to take. I mean, I think we should be realistic. Tourism will make us a lot of money, but tourism is not what's going to change our economy. No economy yeah, has managed to you know, be transformed completely by tourism. So I can only speak for the Ghanaian economy. And what I know is that, so based on some research I did a couple, m- about a year ago, I read that s- either 60 or 80%, I don't want to quote it, but I know it can't be anything less than 60 60% of all travel accommodations are based in Accra. That is problematic in yeah. so many different ways because, you know, Accra is really tiny. Yeah. Um, and what that means is that a lot of travelers are only coming to Accra. So Accra is the pit stop. Mm. People come to Ghana, but they don't even go anywhere else. Until we are building our infrastructure in this country, and making it easy for people to access different parts of the country, what is going to happen is things are going to be concentrated in Accra, and that cost is going to keep increasing, increasing, increasing. We need to basically diversify travel around Ghana. Make it infrastructure, things like roads. To get from Accra to the Volta region, it's it's a journey and a half on its own, and it shouldn't be. It's just because the roads are, are not great. So for me, what we need to do as a country to get to that place is one, really focus on our, on our infrastructure and really create some sort of grant and opportunity so that 
people who want to build real estate, affordable real estate, like truly affordable real estate. Because I've found people say, oh, affordable housing. And I'm like, oh. half of the people in the crowd cannot pay for this affordable housing. Yeah. So really affordable housing. But that all depends on the external factors. Because I cannot build an affordable house when fuel prices keep increasing. And mm. therefore, other su- the whole supply chain gets fucked up. Excuse yeah. my language. But ultimately, I can't. You know, people can't build affordable houses if everything in the external economy is affecting our ability to, you know, help the microeconomy. Right. So for me, it's just a thing where I think the government needs to really sit down, think about, firstly, how we work on our infrastructure to make it easier for people to access different places, to create some sort of system so that people can actually build affordable accommodations. Because accommodation is the biggest expense in travel. And I keep saying accommodation. It's not the vendor. It's not the woman who's selling her popo on the streets for two cities who's yeah. causing us issues, you know, or making it expensive for people to travel. Yeah. It's not the Cape Coast tour guide who is charging 25 cities for entry. Yeah. It's the bloody places to stay. Yeah. And if that doesn't get, like, cheaper then no one's going to be traveling or travel's only going to be accessible to a certain type of traveler. Yeah. Do you, do you have, when I say you, I mean sorted, do you guys have plans, long-term goals for things like that? Like maybe building hostels, you know? I want to, I really want to. And in fact, in the past couple of weeks, we were looking at investing in property and stuff like that. Yeah. But the problem is... Man, you must be making so much bank. No, 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 no. It's like not a bank. <laughs> Let me tell you. I don't want anyone to be deceived. Like we were entrepreneurs. We've been doing this for six months. We're not making a ton of money. But it's also the investors in the team are people who work full-time jobs. Yeah. And, you know, I want to just be real that I did work in finance. So I do have savings that allows me to do this. This is not... Yeah, coming from the business. I yeah. want to be real so people don't yeah. want to think yeah. that. Charlie, when you start a business, <laughs> oh, no, no, it doesn't work like that. Um, but we were thinking about it, but even then, and very ashamedly, I have to admit that that would still not be affordable for your local Ghanaian. Wow. So it might be affordable for a traveler from overseas. It would yeah. truly be affordable. And I think backpackers would be able to afford what we were going to create. But your average Ghanaian you know, straight out of university working in, you know, their first entry job would not be able to afford our accommodation because, like, you know, we are also having to pay for it and we're a business, so we also need to make money out of it. Yeah. And that's just because the system doesn't allow us to go down a certain level. And I would love to, I'd love to own a space where, you know, young travelers of any economic background can just have a place to stay. And hopefully, maybe it might be one of our, philanthropic um ventures when when we get bigger as a company to build like truly truly affordable housing or accommodation that's great i came across a story was it a story no it was a a post where you spoke about dealing with mental health especially after you witnessed the after effects of suicide this was um circa 2020 Hong Kong, if I'm not mistaken. What was that all about? I think um, 2020, early 2020, was a very challenging time for me. Um, challenging because I didn't feel like I was doing what I wanted to do. Oh, right. Um, and for me, I'm a very purpose-driven person. My purpose is to live freely. I love, like... The guy I'm seeing always says that if you say the word freedom again, I will literally not talk to you again. Because <laughs> I really believe in the concept of freedom. And at the time, I felt like I had taken everything I wanted to take from my job. Yeah. And now I felt trapped in a sense. Like, I wasn't moving. I wasn't... I was like, God, this is not This is not who I am. This is not where I want to be. I want to live freely. I want to create things. I want to, I want to, I want to travel. I want to experience the world. Um, and it started to take a big toll on my mental health. Just feeling... Right purposeless and feeling like every day was just waking up going to work and that really really affected me i think that made me feel very suicidal i remember a day where i work this was in the thick of the hong kong political crisis and someone threw themselves off our building in the office so everyone was like looking like oh my god this guy yes i don't know if he i don't think he worked for us but he he was on top of our building which was like quite like one of these like skyscraper type buildings and he threw himself, and I remember everyone's like, oh, my God, like, looking down, and I'm like, oh, 
And I got really emotional. I couldn't look and I just sat at my desk and started crying. I started bawling. And my manager was like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, yeah. And she was like, go home. And I went home. And the reason I was crying was because, oh my God, like I can totally relate to this man. Like I want to do the same thing that he's doing. Like I want to go and throw myself. And I was like, crap, this is really bad. Like who have I become? Like, And I've always struggled with like, you know, silently struggled with like depression and anxiety and um i definitely think i'm a, I'm a high functioning you know you know Absolutely. Uh, like <laughs> high functioning depressed whatever it is i am one of those high functioning people but i've silently struggled with it feeling very alone in the world feeling like oh it's just me but that was really the peak of it um and again that was one of the main reasons that actually drove me to quit my job because i was like i need to change something about my life if i don't like something something needs to give Right, right. Why did you quit singing? Singing. Oh, singing. I didn't quit singing. I just outgrew it. You know, I just outgrew it. I didn't, there was actually, I kind of quit, but also I outgrew it because I auditioned for X Factor. Yeah. And I didn't get it. And I remember standing in front of the mirror and just crying. I am like, I suck. Because <laughs> I really thought I was going to be a singer. I really, really thought, Charlie, me, I'm <laughs> Beyonce. <laughs> like, <laughs> so to go for auditions and get told that, you know, you're not going to be this. I, I really thought my whole life was crumbling before me, yeah. you know, and that really made me decide not to sing. So about after that, for about a couple of years, I stopped singing. But then I started singing again in church and the choir and stuff like that. But then I just realized I outgrew it. You know, I was studying law. I started enjoying editing videos, started enjoying traveling. I started enjoying reading books and just yes. singing just changed. I still sing yeah. in my bedroom. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, cool. Final thing. Tell me about the heartbreak story. Heartbreak story. Oh, God. So I met a wonderful man in Amsterdam. Um... He was a great guy. We got on really well. It was probably my more... We were never, like, officially boyfriend and girlfriend, but we spent a lot of time together, uh. right? Um, most people would probably say we were boyfriend and girlfriend, but it was never like, hey, you're my girlfriend. He never called me that, but we spent a lot of time together. And, um, yeah, he called me on the 31st of December 2019 and just said, hey, like, I'm not feeling this anymore. And, you know, like, I was just like, why? Like, let's work things out, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and he was just like... He's like, I just don't see myself falling in love with you. And when someone tells you they don't see themselves falling in love with you, you don't fight that. You just yeah. say, oh, shit, like, I deserve love, so goodbye. Yeah. Um, but it hurt so much. And I remember going to the office, like, super, like, sad, like, so broken. I just could not believe it. You know, I was so happy. Like, for about a year, I was so happy on air. Like, this is my boo. To get that was insane. Yeah. And my boss just said, hey, let me figure this out, take some time off, and gave me a month off. And I'm so happy. And I think the next day I just booked a flight, a, a, a flight to um, Thailand. And I'm so happy I did that because I'd always wanted to go backpacking. But I was like, oh, I'll go, but I'll go. But it never happened. And then this heartbreak just, because I forgot where my energy came from. Right. Like being so entwined with someone and always being in that person's presence and just like your whole, and I'm an intense person. Right. So when I fall for someone, I'm like <laughs> everything on my soul, my legs, my ass, everything is in there, right? <laughs> so it was really intense and I forgot where I got my energy for. Before him, I was traveling. I was going to Europe with my friends and I was like, hold on, that's what I need to do. I need to travel. Right. So then I just booked the flight and traveled. And honestly, I'm so grateful for that breakup because if I didn't travel, then the pandemic would have started and I definitely wouldn't have traveled anytime soon. Great. And when I traveled, it just, my whole life just opened up. I was just like, this is what I want to do. I want to travel. I want to yeah. meet human beings. I want to talk to new people every single day. Yeah. I want to just live a different culture. So even though that heartbreak was a very painful experience, it was certainly one of the best things that ever happened to me. Best right. things. I right. embrace heartbreaks. I always lose weight after a heartbreak. And that's really good for me. So... <laughs> um, yeah, that heartbreak was painful, but it was definitely worth it. I enjoy this conversation. In 2017, I wrote a short poem, which I think succinctly describes her journey. It says, Bad times don't last, but good times don't either. So Jack, 
pick a log for rose. Watch sunset moon's table. Dip your fingers into hedonism and lick the regrets of your fingers. Or the Titanic will sink anyway. Thank you for listening to the Conversations in the Dark podcast. Kindly read this podcast. It helps. And get connected via our Instagram account named Convos in the Dark Pod. And always remember, in a world where you can be anything, be kind.